Section one of Fancies versus Fads. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Fancies versus Fads by G. K. Chesterton. Introduction. I have strung these things together on a slight enough thread, but as the things themselves are slight, it is possible that the thread and the metaphor may manage to hang together. These notes range over very variegated topics and in many cases were made at very different times. They concern all sorts of things, from lady barristers to cavemen, and from psychoanalysis to free verse. Yet they have this amount of unity in their wandering, that they all imply that it is only a more traditional spirit that is truly able to wander. The wild theorists of our time are quite unable to wander. When they talk of making new roads, they are only making new ruts. Each of them is necessarily imprisoned in his own curious cosmos. In other words, he is limited by the very largeness of his own generalization. The explanations of the Marxian must not go outside economics, and the student of Freud is forbidden to forget sex. To see only the fanciful side of these serious sects may seem a very frivolous pleasure, and I will not dispute that these are very frivolous criticisms. I only submit that this frivolity is the last lingering form of freedom. In short, the note of these notes, so to speak, is that it is only from a normal standpoint that all the nonsense of the world takes on something of the wild interest of wonderland. I mean it is only in the mirror of a very moderate sense and sanity, which is all I have ever claimed to possess, that even insanities can appear as images clear enough to appeal to the imagination. After all, the ordinary, orthodox person is he to whom the heresies can appear as fantasies. After all, it is we ordinary human and humdrum people who can enjoy eccentricity as a sort of elf-land while the eccentrics are too serious even to know that they are elves. When a man tells us that he disapproves of children being told fairy tales, it is we who can perceive that he is himself a fairy. He himself has not the least idea of it. When he says he would discourage children from playing with tin soldiers, because it is militarism, it is we, and not he, who can enjoy in fancy the fantastic possibilities of his idea. It is we who suddenly think of children playing with little tin figures of philanthropists, rather round and with tin top hats, the little tin gods of our commercial religion. It is we who develop his imaginative idea for him by suggesting little leaden dolls of conscientious objectors in fixed attitudes of refined repugnance, or a whole regiment of tiny Quakers with little gray coats and white flags. He would never have thought of any of these as substitutes for himself. His negation is purely negative. Or when an educational philosopher tells us that the child should have complete equality with the adult, he cannot really carry his idea any farther without our assistance. It will be from us, and not from him, that the natural suggestion will come, that the baby should take its turn and carry the mother, the moment the mother is tired of carrying the baby. He will not, when left to himself, call up the poetical picture of the child wheeling a double perambulator with the father and mother at each end. 
he has no motive to look for lively logical developments for him the assimilation of parent and child is simply a platitude and an inevitable part of his own rather platitudinous philosophy it is we and not he who can behold the whole vista and vanishing perspective of his own opinions and work out what he really means it is only those who have ordinary views who have extraordinary visions there is indeed nothing very extraordinary about these visions except the extraordinary people who have provoked some of them they are only very sketchy sort of sketches of some of the strange things that may be found in the modern world but however inadequate be the example it is none the less true that this is the sound principle behind much better examples and that in those great things as in these small ones sanity was the condition of satire it is because gulliver is a man of moderate stature that he can stray into the land of the giants and the land of the pygmies it is swift and not the professors of laputa who sees the real romance of getting sunbeams out of cucumbers it would be less than exact to call swift a sunbeam in the house but if he did not himself get much sunshine out of cucumbers at least he let daylight into professors it was not the mad swift but the sane swift who made that story so wild the truth is more self-evident in men who were more sane it is the good sense of rabelais that makes him seem to grin like a gargoyle and it is in a sense because dickens was a philistine that he saw the land so full of strange gods these idle journalistic jottings have nothing in common with such standards of real literature except the principle involved but the principle is the right one but while these are frivolous essays pretending only to touch on topics and theories they cannot exhaustively examine i have added some that may not seem to fit so easily even into so slight a scheme nevertheless they are in some sense connected with it i have opened with an essay on rhyme because it is a type of the sort of tradition which the anti-traditionalists now attack and i have ended with one called milton and merry england because i feel that many may understand my case against the new puritans if they have no notion of how i should attempt to meet the more accepted case in favor of the old puritans both these articles appeared originally in the london mercury and i desire to express my thanks to mr j c squire for his kind permission to reprint them but in the latter case i had the further feeling that i wished to express somewhere the historical sentiment that underlies the whole the conviction that there did and does exist a more normal and national england which we once inhabited and to which we may yet return and which is not a utopia but a home i have therefore thought it worth while to write this line of introduction to show that such a scrapbook is not entirely scrappy and that even to touch such things lightly we need something like a test it is necessary to have in hand a truth to judge modern philosophies rapidly and it is necessary to judge them very rapidly to judge them before they disappear end of section one